This is Dr. Nick Tiller, and you're listening to the Skeptic's Guide to Sports Science podcast. What follows is an audio recording of my column published in Skeptical Inquirer, the magazine for science and reason. For more information, visit www.skepticalinquirer.org. As with all articles in the series, a link to the original piece with its full list of references can be found in the show notes. Episode 25, Phelps Dives Deeper into the Pseudoscience of Cupping. The world watched in awe as Michael Phelps, the most decorated Olympian in history, added another five gold medals to his record-breaking tally at the Rio Games in 2016. This he did with conspicuous purple bruises across his back and shoulders caused by cupping therapy. Today, it's so common for an elite athlete to fraternize with pseudoscience, it gets lost in the small print of the back page news. But Phelps is no ordinary athlete. He's won more gold medals than anyone in history. He has over 5 million followers on social media. His views on training and recovery hold tremendous sway. And his unwitting endorsement of cupping thrust the ancient Chinese therapy into the modern spotlight. The day after his appearance at the Games, Wikipedia page views for cupping therapy reached an all-time high, reflecting enormous public interest in the practice. I tried not to judge Phelps too harshly for his endorsement. True enough, he didn't consider the downstream effects of his actions, perhaps a byproduct of elite athlete egocentrism. But nor did he make extraordinary claims about cupping's effects or personally profit from sales. That all changed last month when Phelps launched Flying Fish Cupping, a revolutionary cupping device that purportedly improves performance, speeds recovery, tones the skin and relaxes the muscles. Phelps no longer bears the marks of pseudoscience. He joins a growing list of revered athletes championing its cause. As far as I can tell, Phelps hasn't yet fallen prey to Cupping's traditional claims of energy flow and blocked meridians, the same underpinning pseudosciences like acupuncture, acupressure and Reiki. If you staunchly believe in such a universal life force, even though it's never been measured, then you not only subscribe to magic as the primary cause of medical ailments, but you also reject most biological discoveries since the 2nd century BCE. These time-honoured claims for cupping have been discussed ad nauseum, so I won't repeat them here, although if you're interested, science-based medicine provides an excellent summary. Instead, I'd like to focus on how Phelps and other esteemed sports people are lining their pockets while breathing new life into ancient medicines. It's a straightforward task in a commercial landscape shifting beneath our feet. Belief in energy flow and other magical constructs is no longer a prerequisite for cupping or other alternative medicines, with those claims unceremoniously being discarded in favour of scientifically congenial beliefs. In the process, traditional therapies, some of them thousands of years old, are being dragged kicking and screaming into the 21st century. Because, of course, if there's one thing we know about traditional therapies it's that they're amenable to change. 
Phelps' new product, a portable handheld device that applies suction to the skin at sites of injury, casts a wide net with its claims. Improves athletic performance, recovery and mobility is aimed at the competitive athletes, in other words, those to whom Phelps is a steadfast icon. Firming, toning, slimming for the skin, stretch marks and cellulite captures a population at the other end of the athletic spectrum, specifically those wanting to lose weight and firm up without the hassle of working out. And loosens muscle tension for relaxation, anxiety, spasms and aches, bags everyone in between. It's Skepticism 101 to be suspicious of products that claim to target a wide range of unrelated ailments. After all, no product can treat everything. On the one hand, copying proponents finally putting healing energy aside is progress of a sort. On the other hand, we've just replaced one set of implausible claims with another. For instance, increasing blood flow to the muscles has become the default mechanism for a vast number of health, wellness and alternative practices, including cupping therapy, acupuncture, massage, compression tights, cryotherapy, hydrotherapy, magnetic therapy and herbal supplements, among many others. And cupping-related research is now being retroactively performed to support the assertion. Several studies show that there are indeed increases in skin blood flow at the sites of cupping treatment. In turn, this can lead to changes in local skin temperature. The studies, while far from being perfect, appear to be fairly robust. They comprise randomized controlled trials, control groups, and attempts to make physiological measures with the right equipment. But there's still a problem. Notwithstanding the fact that you can stimulate blood flow to the skin by taking a warm shower, drinking a glass of wine, or blushing after someone compliments you, increasing skin blood flow doesn't necessarily reflect an increase in muscle blood flow. And anyway, what's so special about increasing muscle blood flow? Body tissues extract oxygen and nutrients at the rate that they're needed. Is muscle injury, soreness, or inflammation the result of insufficient oxygen or nutrients? No. In fact, augmenting blood flow to an acutely injured body part could promote an inflammatory state and exacerbate the symptoms. We've seen a similar evolution in claims for other practices. Chiropractic no longer blames spinal subluxations as the cause of ailments, even though modern iterations still treat patients using spinal manipulation. Acupuncture is less inclined to stimulate energy flow through body meridians and instead stimulates blood flow through myofascial trigger points. And reflexology, instead of applying pressure to the feet, hands and ears to stimulate energy flow, now stimulates blood flow and the nervous system. These are unashamed attempts to retrofit antiquated practices with plausible biology. But in all but the rarest of cases, we're still left without a valid mechanism for how the therapy is supposed to work. Phelps has been a proponent of cupping for at least the last decade without publicly endorsing a brand. He is already sponsored by a litany of high-end companies, including Subway, Visa, Speedo, Powerbar, Under Armour and AT&T, no doubt with many more waiting in the wings. 
And with a net worth of around $100 million, he doesn't need the money. So, what motivates someone like Phelps to throw the full weight of his reputation behind Flying Fish Cupping, an American startup with a rudimentary website and a single device in its catalogue? And why now? I have to assume he genuinely believes in the product, in its capacity to mitigate soreness, heal the muscles and promote recovery. He may be getting high on his own supply, so to speak. If Phelps does believe his own hyperbole, it's because he somehow spent two decades in a high-performance athletics program without learning how the body actually works, and he's never had anyone explain it to him. It's an indictment of Phelps' support network, his scientists, physicians, coaches and advisors, that they let him hang out in the evidence-deprived ethical wasteland of pseudoscience. They're apparently unconcerned that he's squandering resources, risking cupping-related burns, and promoting pseudoscience to the mainstream. In other words, the team had to be complicit in sacrificing intellectual integrity for a slight placebo effect that would have been possible with far less costly and less risky interventions. Is this the cost of producing a champion? It surely doesn't have to be. Phelps and his team have a hand in any downstream effects of cupping, consequences too easily overlooked. His unrivaled Olympic success carries enormous weight. It's why businesses are literally lining up to work with him. Whether or not they'd like to admit it, those working in high-performance programs have a moral and ethical responsibility not to promote interventions that swim against the current of science and medicine. Many cupping proponents exploit fear and anxiety to sell cupping as an aid for weight loss, as an anti-inflammatory to heal digestive disorders, to cure migraines and headaches, as a treatment for infertility, asthma and bronchitis, and even cancer. And while Phelps hasn't personally made any such claims, he and his team are responsible for bringing credibility and visibility to unscrupulous grifters who have. It isn't controversial to suggest that those who abide by science-based practices generally hold themselves to a higher standard of evidence. And if everyone was so discerning, we'd be in a much stronger position to address many of society's modern threats, from climate change to vaccine misinformation. But before science can offer any such solutions, those with the most power and influence over mainstream culture must, at the very least, agree to stop being part of the problem. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this article, check out my book, The Skeptic's Guide to Sports Science, Confronting Myths of the Health and Fitness Industry, published by Taylor & Francis. For more information on this and my other work, visit www.nbtiller.com.